0: The LexisNexis Torts and Personal Injury Community Podcast. Presentations and interviews with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, Dr. Frederick A. Raffa of Raffa Consulting Economists on damages resulting from the Gulf Oil Spill. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis legal podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees, or customers, and should not be considered legal advice. Dr. Frederick A. Raffa is Senior Economist with Raffa Consulting Economists in Orlando, Florida. Dr. Raffa was a professor at the University of Central Florida from 1969 through 1998 He's the author of Evaluation and Proof of Economic Loss, Volumes 9 through 11, of Damages in Tort Actions, published by LexisNexis, Matthew Bender and Company, 1982 through 2006. He's a frequent lecturer to bar associations and other groups and has been an expert witness in more than 500 trials. Dr. Rafa, it's a pleasure to have you with us on this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Thank you. Dr. Raffa, let's begin with, with a question about what led you to develop expertise in litigation damages uh, being an economist.
1: Uh Sure. Well, uh, back uh, many, many years ago, I uh, finished a Ph.D. back in 1969, joined the faculty of a local university here in Orlando, and my specialty areas were uh, labor economics and macroeconomics And at the time, I wasn't aware that those specialties would uh, blend very nicely with many of the issues, particularly in the personal injury and and wrongful death litigation area. But uh, in the early 1970s, I received a call from an attorney, got to read uh, up on wrongful death statutory guidelines, collected some data, and uh, 1971 did my first evaluation and trial appearance. And I guess the rest is history, Uh, some 750 trials later in almost 40 years. I have been uh, engaged uh, initially on a part-time basis while maintaining an academic position, but since 1998 on a full-time basis and uh, do it now through the firm Rafa Consulting Economist, Inc., which is a litigation-related consulting firm.
0: How large is the firm?
1: Uh, We are 10 people. There are four professional economists, three PhD uh, and one MBA. Uh, We have bachelor's levels to support and then administrative staff support as well.
0: And and what kind of litigation issues does the firm handle by and large?
1: Yeah, we do uh, probably uh, 50% or so, probably a little over half would be personal injury and wrongful death litigation. But then the next largest chunk would be commercial litigation. And we would uh, include in there the traditional issues such as uh, contract dispute, antitrust, uh, trademark infringement, but also crop damage cases. We have done uh, quite a number of, uh, of large uh, uh, crop damage cases involving uh, shrimp farming and, and then some of the more traditional uh, areas here in Florida involving citrus, uh, various types of truck farming, and, uh, and a lot of the ornamentals, woody ornamentals, uh, is a big part of the Florida market. So we have uh, done a fair amount of that. Probably uh, maybe 30% of our work is uh, related to commercial litigation, loss of profits, valuing uh, business claims of that type. And the balance would be uh, kind of a a mixture of various things. We do employment dispute matters related to discrimination claims, lost wage claims. We occasionally involve ourselves in paternity disputes, uh, valuing and uh, measuring the cost of raising a child and the uh, cost of, uh, of maintaining that relationship over time. So it's it's kind of a, a wide range of, of issues that uh, essentially any, any element of economic loss that lends itself to the tools and the theories and the methods of economics would likely be fair game for our firm.
0: And that kind of dovetails into your involvement, the firm's involvement in the litigation arising from the Gulf oil spill. How uh, have you been involved uh, in that to this point?
1: Well, we were contacted back uh, very early on i would say in may or so uh, shortly after we were aware of just how large this uh, this problem was likely to be by uh, several firms in florida where uh, where we are located and for whom we've worked in the past and we were asked to participate in sort of some seminars providing information to potential claimants. Uh, One of my colleagues, Dr. Ed Wolpert, uh, has spent a fair amount of time in the months of May, June, and July uh, speaking to potential claimant groups uh, throughout uh, Florida from uh, north to south, from the Panhandle all the way down to the Keys. And out of this, we have uh, been retained on a a number of cases that uh, will involve, in one case, a very large uh, case involving uh, fishing A claim, a claim by commercial fishermen, others involving issues of property damage and changes in the value of property, particularly the the idea that there will be a stigma attached to uh, real property, even property that is cleaned up. Uh, We have two cases involving this uh, stigma claim that we have just uh, really just begun exploring, kind of an interesting area.
0: That is an interesting claim. There was a lot of talk early on comparing the Gulf oil spill with the uh, Exxon Valdez spill. But there's a difference, right?
1: They are very, very different, I think. Uh, Exxon Valdez involved uh, a rather limited amount of uh, oil. Uh, I think something in the 10 to 11 million gallon range. And of course, this was oil that was on a tanker, so the the quantity was fixed. The best estimate, in fact, I think there was an article in most of the news uh, media on the one hand criticizing some of the early estimates, but uh, perhaps giving us confirmation that the uh the BP oil spill was in the order of maybe 20 times that something less than 5 million barrels uh, 4.9 i think is the the so-called official measure but that would place that at about 210 million gallons so we're looking at 210 million versus 10.8 or 11 million so roughly uh, 20 times the amount of uh, oil was released in the BP incident vis-a-vis the Exxon Valdez. There are other differences, too. Of course, the Exxon Valdez was a surface spill. BP, the deep water well, was down uh, 5,000 feet, a mile below the surface. And I think part of that is that we're not really sure how the, the BP spill will ultimately be felt and where it will be felt. So there's less certainty, perhaps, uh, with BP vis a vis the
0: Exxon Valdez. Yeah, and there was a l- lot of uh, high profile litigation arising from the Exxon Valdez spill. You think that litigation will have an impact on Gulf oil spill litigation?
1: I-, I think that's a very good point. There was quite a bit of litigation. In fact, I think eventually going to the Supreme Court in terms of uh, ultimately certifying some of the amounts to be paid, particularly the punitive claim. I think ultimately in the Exxon Valdez, there was something in the $2.5 billion range uh, ultimately paid as claims. There's there's some debate and discussion about that. Uh, The expectation here is, of course, that uh, that the BP spill will be uh, dramatically greater. BP, of course, pledged uh, $20 billion, so potentially 10 times the the amount uh, for the Exxon Valdez. And I think that's still quite a mystery as to how that's actually going to uh, ultimately be determined. A lot of comment and criticism of uh, uh, Mr. Feinberg and and the efforts to resolve claims. And uh, and I think we're just beginning to to perhaps realize that this may be much larger than we first thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the litigation, I think, though, is, is an interesting part of it, because I think one of the things that has emerged is that the potential litigation maybe in the BP uh, matter has been uh, put aside, perhaps to see if this this process of filing claims and, and hearing claims and resolving claims through uh, Mr. Feinberg will work. That's an unknown at this part, Part, but I think that it's uh, uh, something that we're all going to watch here in the next probably 60 to 90
0: days. Well, one thing that uh, is for certain is that this bill not only caused injury to the environment, it, it's also affected workers and property and businesses in the region. Talk about some of the business losses, both within the spill area and outside of it.
1: Yeah, those those, those are good uh, good ways to look at it, I think, Steve, because clearly within the area, we know about uh, the aquaculture that was affected, the oyster uh, industry, the oyster harvesting industry, has been severely affected, uh, shrimping operations, fishing, both sport fishing and and fishing okay. for the the market and i think that the uh, you know at that level we're we're seeing very definite consequences those claims i think are easier to delineate and define because they you know essentially you're you're fishing and you're catching x pounds of uh, of fish or shrimp or oysters and marketing those and then the next month all of a sudden it's x minus a significant percentage so uh, i think we're aware of that we've heard a lot about that i don't know that that uh, all of those claims have really been been finalized but that's a big part of it but i think the the tougher part is is the uh, impact on tourism within the region. We have some sense of that. We hear that hotels are uh, are not booked. We hear of cancellations for rental properties, seasonal rental properties, particularly in the Panhandle area, and in some cases, spreading way beyond the actual spill area. And of course, with hotels and motels following, that would of course be restaurants that are affected and and related tourist activities activities such as you know uh, sport fishing and boating and and beach related recreational activities and those are all within the area and, and I say the difficulty here is that of course we are experiencing uh, clearly the worst recession since the great depression and so separating out the impact of the spill and the impact of the recession, I think is tricky, but generally speaking, we know that there has been quite an impact. There have been various attempts to measure it uh, in terms of loss of jobs and then the potential multiplier effect from those loss of jobs. But within the region, uh, I think first and foremost, we do have the, the aquaculture that's been affected, and then related to that would be all of the tourism activities and then I of course have to acknowledge that out of those tourism activities come jobs, income, and spending, the overall multiplier impact within a region. And this is a, this is a real important dimension. There's a there's a study that's been released by one of the economists at the University of Central Florida giving a best case, worst case scenario. And a best case scenario is that there will be a ten percent reduction in tourism related spending so hotels and, and all the related activities, that 10% reduction in that spending is estimated to translate to a loss of 39,000 jobs and through the multiplier effect, an impact in the magnitude of $2.2 billion uh, statewide as a result of the spending income, spending income relationship through this multiplier. Worst case, or what's been termed a nightmare scenario, puts that as high as 195,000 jobs lost in a 10.9 billion uh, ultimate economic impact. So the consequences within the region are both direct and then indirect as the income from employment is reduced and the spending from that as well.
0: Talk a little bit more about the impact on individuals.
1: Well, I think it's it's very, very uh, obvious that employment has been affected. We are seeing articles almost every day where employees have uh, lost jobs tied directly to the spill within the the region. And uh, in some cases, they have attempted to mitigate by moving out of the area. That's a very difficult thing to do right now during this recession, to move out of an area and, and find employment. So for many, many individuals working in the fishing and shrimping and oyster harvesting harvesting uh, industries, as well as the, the tourism, uh, hotel, restaurant area, they've been very, very uh, significantly impacted and with very little uh, ability to, to mitigate. Uh, and these are some of the people I think that we're hearing more from with regard to this uh, process of filing claims. Claims that have been filed for months apparently have not been resolved yet. And I think just last week there was a meeting here in Florida with Mr. Feinberg hearing from many of these people who felt that they were not being heard. So that's a definite impact on income and jobs that that will be related to it. And I think also when you think of the personal side of it, many people live there, they live in the Panhandle area, they live in the Louisiana uh, bayou areas that have been affected in terms of just personal property, you know, property that once was quite valuable may, uh, may never be as valuable again. This whole uh, idea that even if you clean up property, is it really clean? At, at what point do we, uh, do we have the ability to certify that this is oil-free property? So there's been the cost of cleanup of the property, the real property, but then on top of that, the potential that there is no way to, at least at this point, be absolutely certain that there will be no recurring events down the road uh, from this oil. Lots of experts out there are weighing in on that, and I think at this point, it's still quite an unknown.
0: Well, talking about cleanup, there's been quite an impact as well on government agencies and, and services, right?
1: government, of course, uh, we recognize that that's a double-edged sword. They're being called upon to provide cleanup, and they're being uh, called upon to do that during a recession and also during a time with, with spending decreasing as a result of all of this. The tax base, particularly in a state like Florida, that relies so heavily on sales tax that the reduced spending uh, in the region has reduced uh, sales tax revenues, and of course that is uh, kind of the bread and butter for paying for much of the cleanup. That's why there is a real effort underway to obtain funding for that cleanup or at least reimbursement for the funding uh, from BP. But it's, it's a very difficult process, you know, lacking the resources, but recognizing the needs that are very immediate in terms of government agencies.
0: So how are these claimants going to demonstrate their losses? Let's start, say, with business loss claimants. How are they going to demonstrate losses? And what kinds of records should attorneys focus on?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, there is a claims process, and there, there's pros and cons, I guess, if you will. I think many claimants have attempted to sort of file a piece of paper that says, I had a job making $15 an hour, and I haven't worked in six weeks. And I think when we we read about some of these claims, obviously that's a very difficult one to process. Supposedly, there are in the neighborhood of 15,000 such claims that have been filed, where uh, someone essentially fills out a piece of paper saying, I lost this, or my business is down $20,000 in the last six months, here's my claim. So I think we have that on the one hand, which makes it very difficult to really review and process those claims. On the other hand, I don't think, from what I read about Mr. Feinberg's review process, he's not you know, requiring audited financial statements or tax returns. He, he's very willing to look at internal documents. If you have a, a business and you use uh, an accounting software package, and there are several very good ones out there, I think if you could produce your P&Ls and uh, particularly focusing on either you know, here are the last 12 months or 24 months of our profit and loss statements uh, leading up to the spill. Here are the revenues, and here are the quantities of output, physical output if you're a fisherman and you're out out there catching and selling fish. Here's a profit and loss statement showing what the quantities were before, and here are the same profit and loss statements for the the spill period and and beyond and so here is an accounting statement not audited not a tax return uh, not as elaborate as, as what we might expect certainly not as elaborate as you would need if you were pursuing this in a in a litigation environment in a, in a courtroom you would certainly need much much better uh, much more precise documentation so I think from a business standpoint, a business claim, someone that maintains reasonably decent accounting records, profit and loss statements, if they have a a software package, it would be perhaps easier than not. But I think that's what Mr. Feinberg is looking for so that he can at least have something to review, something to uh, process, if you will. I think that's at least from what I can tell. And I think what has happened is they... uh, what i understand many of the attorneys who perhaps were anticipating that there would be uh... a significant amount of litigation uh... immediately emerging out of all of this have perhaps uh... been surprised by the fact that many people are trying the uh... the process of filing a claim through uh... through feinberg and so i think many attorneys now have shifted some of their efforts to assisting in filing those claims making sure they're done correctly that they meet the standards that would uh, allow for an expedited processing of the claim. I think that's an interesting and important nuance that, that has emerged out of this.
0: Yeah, I don't recall the numbers, but I, I was reading where there, there have been uh, a good number of many thousands of claims already paid, but still many, many, many others that, that have not been yet. Yeah,
1: I think the, you know the best estimate I've seen is somewhere around $400 million of claims uh has been paid to date, but I think I saw somewhere last week uh there's something in excess of fifty thousand claims filed, and maybe uh fifteen thousand of those have been actually processed, approved, and paid but uh, I like think I saw they're 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 actually receiving or see they're actually processing. Something like a thousand claims uh, each day i don 't know if that's, uh, if that 's realistic i't how you would do that so it 's a very very uh, obviously large scale process
0: and obviously for personal losses uh, personal property there 's evidence that 's relevant to, uh, to proving loss of income right
1: yeah, I think that 's a good point with personal property again, I, from what i read i don 't think you need to go out and hire a real estate appraiser to come in and say, well, on April 1st of 2010, I could have sold this property for in the magnitude of $100,000. And on April 30th of 2010, recognizing the spill was on the 10th, that I would now appraise this at $50,000. I don't think we need that type of detail. But I think what is expected is some measure of the decline in value. And that might be accomplished by consulting a realtor uh simply saying if you were going to list this property today what would you list it for give me a comparable listing for this property prior to April 10th of 2010 uh, I think mortgage uh, companies or, or the mortgage department of a commercial bank would also be in a position to say you know you have loaned money on real property in this area prior to uh, April 2010 what would be your your assessment of loan-to-value on this property pre uh, the spill, and what would be your assessment today? I think there needs to be some of that, again, not expensive high-level analysis yet, but some general sense that there is a very definite reduction in value unrelated to the recession, because you're looking at a pre-April, post-April 2010 uh, time period. So, but that is, that, that is very, very much a part of what we're dealing with here. And that may be the, the, the more difficult aspect. The real property claims may be uh, much more difficult to ultimately measure because of the, the impact of the recession,
0: which has been so severe. We, we touched on the, the number of claims that have been filed, the number of claims that have been paid, the, the many that have not been paid as of yet. With all of that, has there been as much litigation as everyone's expected?
1: Very good. Uh, very good question. An interesting uh, uh, point, I think, Steve. The uh, the general sense is to that, I think, is no. We work with a lot of law firms, many hundred law firms here in Florida alone, and we were receiving calls about potential claims, and uh, we have had very few actual referrals at this point. Uh, we have helped process some claims, as I mentioned, some of the, the law firms that Perhaps we're looking at this from a litigation standpoint, or at least in the short term, helping individuals file claims. And we have reviewed some of that paperwork and assisted with some comments on uh, how we think that presentation would be improved in terms of presentation. But I think at this point, there's very much a, a wait and see. I think claimants, uh, you know, I, I've uh, spent uh, some time on the phone with uh, the, the head of a phishing co-op, I guess it is. Uh, out of the the uh, Louisiana area, and they were considering filing a claim formally, and as opposed to going through litigation. And from that discussion, my sense was that they are are more common than uncommon in the sense that they're going to give it a shot. They're going to see whether they can go through the BP claim process and see how that works. So I think for the, I think short term. I think there's much less litigation than was anticipated. Uh, I think the the sense is that that's probably maybe a temporary phenomenon. But for the time being, I think that's indeed uh, a bit of a surprise.
0: Given the number of claims that have been filed to this point, do you think we've seen the bulk of them now?
1: In terms of numbers, I think we have. I'm not sure in terms of dollars. My sense is that there are many claims out there that where, particularly if they're large claims, they are a little more complex, they are requiring more time to, to prepare, and and maybe there's a bit of a wait-and-see, uh, I think, on the part of some of the larger claims, waiting to see how this uh, process works. If it works well, then they will they will have all of their ducks in a row, so to speak, and be ready to file a claim. But if not, then they will also have their claim performed and prepared in a, in a much more formal manner that could potentially go directly into litigation. So I think perhaps the dollar value of the claims that have been filed will not be indicative of what is to come. But I think the number of claims, I think, will, will be certainly decreasing over time.
0: Let me ask you, as far as a final thought is concerned, as far as the spill goes, as far as the claims process, and how long you think we can expect to see fallout from the Gulf oil spill? Great question.
1: I, I think, generally speaking, there's there's a school out there that says, gee, uh, this thing wasn't as bad as we thought. You know, the grass is coming back, the uh, the warm water perhaps helped disperse the oil much better than the, the cold water in the uh, Exxon Valdez case, and that perhaps there are uh, fewer birds, fewer uh, wildlife affected. And, and this school, maybe we'll call it the optimist school, says that this thing will, will become short term, that we will be over it sooner than later. And I think I, I read a lot about this, uh, you know, environmentalists are out, they are checking on the habitats for all of the wildlife that would have been affected. And, and they're coming back with Reasonably positive statements about how the habitats have uh, responded, and very optimistic about the wildlife that w- were so badly so horribly affected in in the valdez matter that perhaps are not as affected and and I think that same uh, school says that between burnoff and the winds and the currents that kept much of the soil off the beaches that there has not been as much damage to the environment and the, the beachfront community-type uh, lifestyle as was expected. And that, that side of the of the story, I think, says this thing is short-term. You know, we may be looking at another 12 to 18 to perhaps 24 months, and it will be a history. The other side is perhaps just as, uh, uh, as vocal in saying that we really don't know where the oil is. The one uh, story I read recently said that many people think that the oil has settled to the bottom, and we don't know what that's going to do to the ocean floor in terms of impacting the fishing and oystering and, and shrimping and all of that, that it's lying there, and uh, as if it releases into the water, does that affect or contaminate on a very long-term basis? Uh, all of the uh, the aquaculture coming out of that area. And um this less optimistic or pessimistic side of it I think would suggest that this may be decades old in or decades long in resolving because we really don't know where the oil is. There is far too little oil manifest in the usual way for the amount of oil that was spilled. If uh you know, if we had 210 million gallons of oil uh, spill, where is it? So, you know, I, I think that that's a real issue. We're just now we're reading about sort of better estimates of how much oil was actually spilled, and I think we're going to follow that with better estimates of where that oil is and how it's likely to impact us. Uh, you know, the, uh, the scientists, the natural scientists that I speak with uh You know, they they raise a lot of doubts. Uh, They claim they would not eat shrimp or fish taken out of the uh, area uh, of the spill. Uh, I'm I'm not a a scientist of that type, but um, I think, you know, caution is out there, and that caution will will make this a much longer uh, process in terms of resolution.
0: As with so many other things, time will tell. Dr. Raffa, it's been a pleasure having you with us on this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Thank you so much for your time and your insights on all this. Thank you, Steve. It's been my pleasure. Dr. Frederick Raffa, Senior Economist with Raffa Consulting Economists in Orlando. Thank you for listening to this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Visit the LexisNexis communities at www.lexisnexus.com community. The Lexus Nexus Torts and Personal Injury Community Podcast, Copyright twenty ten by LexisNexis, a division of Red severe Incorporated. Lexus Nexus, I'm Steve Bursler, thank you for listening.